This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. So glad to have you here again. I, again, I want to thank everybody, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We are so glad to have you with us as we, as we, uh, as we worship the Lord together. If you're new with us, uh, we, are a, we are a family of, of Christ followers, and um, we have found that as a family, we are stronger together than we are individually. And so we have linked arms together to fulfill God's purposes in the world. Amen? In our community. We gather together in small groups throughout the week, but we still love Sunday morning when we can come together and we can all worship the Lord together corporately. Amen? As I say every week, we are just a, a small expression of the body of Christ. I'm so thankful that there are so many churches all over this region, so many bodies of believers that are lifting up the name of Jesus this morning. And man, I'm just believing right now that they're having a powerful time with the Lord. That we are just a small expression of the body of Christ. And we love God and we love people. And because of that, we choose to serve the world with his love. Amen. And so if you're part of the Harvest family, I want you to say it together with us. The vision of Harvest is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that three ways. How do we do that? Through community, discipleship, and outreach. That is what we are about as a family here at Harvest. Now guys, I'm going to jump on in. I'm, I'm excited about today as we continue on with um, the Sermon on the Mount uh, I, I tell you what, it was, it, was, it was some kind of week this week, and, but as I went through this message, um, man, it's, <laughs> it's convicting. Uh, I, I tell you what, we're going to get to it in just a minute because we've been discussing identity, right? The identity is what we've been discussing this year, and we've been talking about really the responsibility of the family of God. Who is the family of God? The family of God is those who have repented, turned from the old life, surrendered to Jesus, and been made a new creation in Christ, right? And so I think this is so important that we talk about identity and we talk about the responsibility of the body of Christ. Because like I've said the last few weeks, I think so much of the body of Christ, so many of us, we, we don't truly know who we, are, who we are. I think if the church in America, if all of us individually knew who we were, this nation would be a different place. I believe this world would be a different place. And, you know, not knowing our identity in Christ, it affects how we act and how we react to the situations and the things that are going on around us, the things that are happening in our community and in our nation and, and even right at home in our workplace and in our families. And so, you know, as I've said, so many things are changing in the world right now, but the reality is God's word never, ever changes. It was applicable 2,000 years ago, and it's just as applicable today as it was way back then. It contains all the answers to every question. It contains the answers to every doubt that you ever had in your mind. So we are going to, it, look, if we're going to fulfill God's purpose in our life, that's part of our vision, right? We've got to know some things. We've got to understand and know what God's word says. So we're spending this year going through and simply discussing I'm sorry, I'm struggling with my mic. It keeps falling off my ear. We keep, we're discussing the practicalities of the Christian life, of the way that Jesus told us to live. And so three weeks ago, we started the Sermon on the Mount. And we know this was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is right at the beginning. And, and so Jesus is starting to get noticed. He's healed a few folks and cast out a few demons. Now people are flocking to him. 
And so when we get there to Matthew chapter 5, he's gone up on this hillside. The disciples have gathered around him, and he begins to teach them. The first teaching that we really have of Jesus, the longest sermon that we have of Jesus. And so he begins to speak, and he's speaking in this very, very practical manner that was very applicable to the disciples that were sitting there before him. But guys, it's still applicable today. It's applicable to his disciples today. Do we have any disciples in here today? Man, we got to get a lot of people saved. It's still applicable to us today. So, Jesus opens his mouth and he begins to speak. And he starts Matthew chapter 5 by giving what we call the Beatitudes, right? And the Beatitudes talk about, we talked about a few things, talk about the importance of us hearing and taking in the word of God, right? Talks about also the importance of us being a doer of the word of God, obeying what it says as well. They kind of talk about, they talk about our relationship with the Lord. They talk about our relationship with our fellow man. And if you want to go, I'm not going back into the Beatitudes, but if you want that, you can go back on our, on our, um, well, on our Facebook page, on our website, on YouTube. You can go back and look at and watch March 21st and March 28th and, uh, and, and learn more about the Beatitudes. But we're going to continue and see what else Jesus has to say to his disciples. Somebody say, that's me. So we're going to look at what else he says here. And so we're back in Matthew chapter 5, and the next verse is verse 13. But before we start there, before we get going, there's a few things that I want to, I want to communicate to you. Now let me say, I, I haven't mentioned this yet, if you are following along, if you have a Bible, that's great. If you want to, you can follow along on your mobile device uh, from the YouVersion Bible app. You can just hit events. Uh, I think it's more than events, and, um, and you can follow along with the notes. You'll see them in there. But... Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, it talks about two more qualities of the Christ follower. And these qualities are salt and light. And guys, this is a big deal because really this idea of Christ followers being salt and light, it follows along, this theme follows along throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So Jesus is really kind of setting up the rest of it by giving these words on being salt and light. So he says that in this, he says that we as his disciples, we as his followers, we are salt and we are light. And so he tells us that as salt, that we're to retain our flavor, that we bring the flavor of God to the world. And then as light, we're called to shine forth his light to all of mankind, right? There's a little more to it I want to go into. Now, I did find it interesting. Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Remember in the Beatitudes when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? And I was talking about how in that, in the phrasing, he references two things that we can't live without, right? Food and water. He, he, Jesus is giving an example here. He's bringing it down real basic. How many of you need it real basic sometimes? I certainly do. And so in this, he, he, he's talking about that, but he gives the spiritual connection to, to hungering and thirsting. But how many of you know this? We also can't live without salt and light. I never really thought of that. Did you know that uh, somewhere around 0.4% of your body weight is salt? I didn't know that. It was on Wikipedia. I hope it's true. <laughs> Depends on whether they got their support this month or not. No, I'm kidding. Um. But the reality is, we can't survive without salt and light. And in the spirit, nothing thrives without salt and light. 
And so I want to kind of dig into this for a minute, and I want, I want to bring it home, and I want you to understand this. So most of us in here would say that we're Christ followers. We have surrendered our life to Jesus. We have repented of our old ways, of our past. We've become a new creation in Jesus. We're following him. We become this new creation. Our spirit is born again. And we have entered into relationship with the Father, right? That relationship with the Father is eternal, right? We've entered into an eternal relationship. When we have truly turned and surrendered our life to Jesus, we enter into an eternal relationship with the Father. We also enter into fellowship with the Father. That fellowship can be temporal. That's what I want to talk about for a minute. Many people think that once they receive Christ, the main difference between now that they receive Christ and before is that they're going to go to heaven when they die. How do you know there's a little more to it than that? It is true. You're now a son, you're a daughter, you're in an eternal relationship. But for many people, they think at that point they're on their own to basically try to live a good life. And there's so much more to it. So when you come into relationship with the Lord, how many of you know there are things that become yours eternally? That inheritance we just talked about, there are things that become yours eternally when you come into relationship with the Father. Eternal life is yours. You eternally, you are a royal priesthood. You are given righteousness. How many of you are thankful that when you miss it and you sin, God still sees you as righteous because he sees you in Christ Jesus? Thank you, Lord. So you have this relationship with the Father. He's now your Father. But how many of you know that you can make choices that break your fellowship with the Father. Probably most of us in this room have relationship with the Father. But I'd be willing to guess there's quite a number of us that don't have much of a fellowship with the Father. Being out of fellowship is what the Bible calls carnal. That would be a carnal Christian, okay? So as a Christ follower, when you sin, how many of you are Christ followers that have sinned before? When you're a Christ follower and you sin, it separates your fellowship, not your relationship. Does this make sense? So I'll give you an example. How many of you in here are a mom? You're a mom and you get home from work, right? And you get going, get in the kitchen, and you get dinner started. You're cooking away, and in walks your little son. He comes in from school and he goes straight to the pantry and grabs a handful of cookies. What do you say? Hey, dinner's gonna be ready in a few minutes. No cookies till after dinner, right? Son's like, yes, ma'am. Right? So you go on cooking dinner. A few minutes, you walk away for a minute. 
You go do something. You come back to check on what's on the stove. And there's your son pulling his arm out the pantry with five cookies in his hand. How many of you will be happy? No. You'd say, son, I told you no cookies before dinner. You've disappointed me. You have disobeyed. You get up to your room until dinner's ready. Right? Son hangs his head, goes to his room. Right? A few minutes later, y'all are sitting around the dinner table. What's the atmosphere? Awkward. Son won't look mama in the eyes. Right? Nobody's saying anything. There's tension in the air. Guys, is relationship broken? Is he now not your son? Do you love him any less? You still desperately love him, right? Relationship isn't broken. He's disobeyed you blatantly. He's disrespected you. But relationship's not broken. What has he broken? He's broken fellowship in that moment. What's happened? Communication has broken down. Instead of loving embraces, there's shame and maybe pride, maybe rebellion, maybe hurt, right? This is what happens when we sin. You break down your fellowship with the Lord, and yes, it affects your communication with him. We looked at a verse two weeks ago. I'm going to read it to you again. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Let me show you a couple other versions say, where it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, it says, If I cherish wickedness. Another version says, If I'm unwilling to repent, the Lord will not hear me. Cherishing wickedness and being unwilling to repent takes us out of fellowship with the Lord. It puts us in that awkward place. We're still at the table because we're still family. But something has broken down, and it's fellowship. You see that? Everybody understand? And a lot of times, we're too full of pride to admit it. So, back to the table. Your stunned son's still sitting there. Everybody's all quiet. Wondering if he's going to get a whooping after dinner. What are you waiting on? Mom, what are you waiting on? You're waiting on repentance, right? You're waiting on a change. And you don't want him to just say, geez, mom, what's wrong? I'm sorry, okay? No. We're looking for mom. I'm so sorry. I, I really messed up. I disrespected you and I disobeyed you. And promise I'm not going to do it again. That changes things. The air suddenly begins to clear, right? Mama says, you better not do it again. But you're forgiven, right? Suddenly, all of a sudden, everything changed. They can hug it out. They can walk on together. It made all the difference in the world. Things can go back to normal. 
how do we store, restore relationship when we fall out of fellowship with our Father? We repent. It's not just saying sorry. It's turning away from it and making it right. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The air will be cleared. There's no more shame. The scripture that 1 John 1, 9 describes says how to clear the air and to come back into fellowship. But sin did not sever the relationship. Sin severed the fellowship. And let me tell you something. I was just thinking this yesterday. You miss out on a lot when you're not in fellowship. Miss out on a lot. You may think, well, I'm okay. I've received Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. You're going to miss out on a lot. You're going to walk through a lot of things that you would not have had to walk through otherwise. When you were at the table, again, what, what, if, what if when you were back at the table, before your son repented, he still got his head down, awkward tension. What if instead, what if instead your son had come to the table and he just plopped himself down and was like, Mom, I need tickets to the movies tonight. She'd been like, you need what? Right? There wasn't fellowship. How would you have responded? Some of us are asking for things from the Lord. We're asking for him to bless us. But we're out of fellowship and we're unwilling to repent. And repentance, we're at the table and repentance is what the Father is waiting for. And guys, we've all been there. How do you feel as a Christian when you're out of fellowship with the Lord? Miserable. And the longer you stay in that place, the more miserable you get. And usually the reason you stay there is because you're full of pride. Just put the pride down. You know you're living in a way that's not pleasing the Lord and don't want to admit it. Or there are some people that are full of guilt and shame. And they've bought into a lie that they're no longer a son or daughter. They've bought into the lie that they're no longer in relationship. And so they're afraid. Either way, I would argue the most miserable people on earth are not unbelievers. They're Christians that are out of fellowship with their father. How many of you have ever known a miserable, sourpuss Christian? One of those you've never seen smile. Always gloomy and down and out and whatever else. This is usually an indication of a person who's not in fellowship with the Lord. Because we're in fellowship with the Lord, there is joy and there is peace. They're usually full of conviction or maybe even condemnation and shame. They're miserable and they just spread that misery all around. So we should desire to be a people who are in fellowship with the Lord and full of his word and full of the Holy Spirit. And when this is the case, guys, the joy of the Lord will begin to burst forth from your life. And I would say, I mean, guys, you do understand that God's word brings joy. God's word brings strength. You need stability in your life. God's word brings stability to your life, to your mind. It'll renew your mind when you allow it. That's the kind of person that the unbeliever is going to come to and say, 
there is something different about you and I've got to have it. People aren't turned off by that kind of person who's passionate for the Lord. Do the people in your life want what they see inside of you? All right, let's get back to the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, I'm going to give you three things from the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, you are salt. You are salt. Matthew 5.13 says, Jesus speaking here, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, firstly, understand, salt is basically a preservative, right? I actually, I actually went and looked it up again, Wikipedia again. I looked it up. The first refrigerators were invented for home use in 1913. Sounds like a little while ago, but not really. That means that salt has been used for thousands and thousands and thousands of years to preserve food, right? That's what they use. That's, that's just about all they had to preserve food. So salt was very valuable. Salt was very needed back in the day. Before refrigeration, it was all about salt. So when Jesus says that we are salt, then yes, that would mean that we preserve our environment and the things around us. It says that we are the salt of the earth. Guys, what do you think has made the United States of America the greatest nation on earth? Democracy? Diversity? Freedom? None of those things are enough to preserve this nation. It's been us as the body of Christ. We have been the salt and we have preserved this nation. The church of Jesus. Amen? We are the salt of the earth. We are the salt of America. And that will preach. Maybe I'll come back to it in a minute. We were founded on God's word. We have been a nation full of God-fearing, God-loving people. And we've kept this nation from spoiling for a long time. We've held back the enemy from destroying our land. We preserve this land and we keep it functioning as God purposed it. But the Bible tells us, here's the thing. It tells us here that we can lose our flavor, that we can lose our saltiness. That becomes a problem. You lose your flavor. You, you lose your saltiness when you break fellowship with the Lord. Understand, salt is not good for anything in and of itself. Most people don't sit around and eat salt. Salt is meant to be put on something else, right? It brings its flavor to other things. Your life is not for yourself. The reason you got born again, spirit-filled, started walking the, 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 the faith-filled life is so that you could become a blessing to others and shine the light of Jesus, when we get out of fellowship with the Lord and we remain out of fellowship, we become stagnant and our salt loses its flavor. It doesn't make a difference anymore. It's not good for anything then. Does that also help you to understand why we're seeing some of the things we're seeing in our nation today? Come on, guys. 
could it be that much of the church has lost its flavor? And we're seeing the repercussions of that? So back to it again. Matthew 5, 13. So he says, you're the salt of the earth. The salt is lost its taste. How shall the saltings be restored? Look at the next part. He says, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Well, immediately people think of hell when they, when they read this. See, when you get out of fellowship with the Lord, you go to hell. You get thrown out by God. That's not what it's saying here, guys. Because in, in, in hell, you're not going to be trampled under people's feet. Okay? It, it's not talking about hell. It's talking about this lifetime. It's talking about here on earth. If you lose your saltiness, if you fall out of fellowship, if you allow yourself to get out of fellowship with the Lord, it's saying that you're not good for anything except to be people's doormat. People are going to walk all over you. Your circumstances and, and situations and the things in your environment, they're going to overtake you. A lot of Christians today are just being run over by the world and don't understand that greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. They might be born again and even spirit-filled, but they've broken relationship with God. They've lost their saltiness and the ability to season the environment and the people around them. And they're not much good for anything more than to be walked all over by everybody else. But if you stay in fellowship with the Lord, if you do keep your flavor and your saltiness, situations won't run over you. They won't dictate you. You'll dictate them. When circumstances go wrong, a person who is truly in Christ Jesus, who is the salt of the earth, they grab hold of that situation and they say, in Jesus' name, you're going to work together for my good. Right? And the situations turn around. That's the person who becomes effective in this life and knows that the salt is in them. Number two, you must keep your flavor. You have to keep your flavor. Look at Mark 9.50. It says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. That's a command, guys. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. You keep the flavor of salt by being filled up with salt. Salt is a type of the word of God in the Bible. Remember, just like we talked about earlier, you can't put out what you're not full of. You can't put salt out until you are full of salt. You can't season the environment around you and the lives around you until you're full of it yourself. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. What's it say? Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each other. It tells us there to walk in wisdom. But before you can walk in wisdom, you got to have knowledge. Which is, where do we get knowledge? The Word of God, which is the salt. We've got to be full of it. If you're going to put out the word of God, you're going to put it out. That is the salt that comes out in the words there. It says your words are to, your speech is to be seasoned with salt. Yeah, guys, when you become a new creation, your spirit becomes a salt shaker. And you've got to keep it filled up with salt. As you build up your spirit, man, get full of the word of God, 
It says right here in this scripture that that salt is sprinkled on every word that comes out of your mouth. You have to keep ingesting the salt of the word so the salt will be on your words. Job 6.6, 6, can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? That's a pretty good example. I don't mind the white of an egg with quite a bit of salt. I like my eggs with salt. But the white of an egg here, what it's referring to, it's referring to those areas of your life that are lacking the flavor of God. There are certain foods that have a lot of flavor and don't need salt. There's also foods that <laughs> you like past the salt shaker, right? It's just like that in the things of life. There's things we enjoy doing and there's things we don't enjoy doing, Right? Because it doesn't have any, there's certain things in life that don't have any appeal and don't have any flavor to it. But you are salt. So, you know, as followers of Jesus, we can bring salt and flavor to any situation, in any environment, in any moment. You may not enjoy your current job a whole lot. You, if you're constantly sitting around with a bad attitude, Talking to your employees, talking to the fellow employees about how miserable this job is and how stupid your boss is. You're just going to continue to be miserable, right? It's not how a person in fellowship acts and reacts. Because you can decide to be thankful for that job in that moment. You can make a choice. You can do it with excellence. You can do it as a worship unto the Lord. Instead of talking to everybody negatively about it, you can begin to speak forth the words of life. Salt. You can bring the flavor of God to your workplace. And you can change the environment by being salt. And I was thinking about this too. Think about somebody. You ever known somebody that's trying to witness, but all they're doing is bringing condemnation and trying to shove Jesus down somebody's throat? One of the most obnoxious things, Right? But it's totally different on the flip side. How beautiful is it when you meet somebody that loves the Lord so much, they are so passionately in love with the Lord that the word of God just comes forth from them without them even trying. The love of Jesus just exudes from them all the time. That's totally different. That doesn't turn people off. That wins people to Jesus. That gets people's attention. Witnessing isn't always about saying something important. It's about being a witness, being salt. Witnessing. Look, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, whatever you do, say whatever. This is anything, guys. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Guys, we don't just try to be salt. We got to just be who Jesus says we are. Be full of him and full of the word of God and full of the spirit of God. And you'll make a difference without all the effort that it took before trying to do it without that. Amen? So, you are salt. You have to keep your flavor. Number three, last thing I want to mention, last thing Jesus says is you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So, verse 14, Matthew 5, 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
So the Greek word here that's translated world is the Greek word cosmos. When we think of space or something. No, actually, it refers to the world system. It, we, we, we think it's like land. We think of earth. We think you're the light of the world. But it's not talking about land. What, what is the light of the land? The sun. <laughs> right? It's not talking about the land. It's talking about something deeper here. This analogy goes further. We don't just live in a physical world. We live in a world system. The world system, unfortunately, is ruled by our enemy. Right? It's the enemy that brings darkness into the earth. But in the darkness, you are the light. And you guys know as well as I do that it is impossible for darkness to overtake light. It cannot happen. But light can always overtake darkness. Light has all the power. It doesn't matter how dark things get. The smallest light, you can have a little pin light out of your pocket. The darker it gets, the brighter that thing gets. It gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And it gets amazing how far you can see in utter darkness with the smallest light. Matthew 5, okay, next verse, verse 15. So he's already said, you're the light of the world. Now he says, in verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. Now guys, this reminded me, how many of you remember when Gideon went out and his army kept getting cut down in numbers and, and all this stuff. Anyway, they get to this place where they're, they're, the opposing forces are vast in number. And he's got very few men. But they've got a plan. The Lord is leading them, right? And they get their lamps, and, but they put them under clay pots. They hide their lamp. And they go up on the hills around the enemy. They go around them. And the enemy can't see them. Why? Because they got a, pl- a pot hovering over their light so they're not being they're not being seen but in when the moment came what did they do it says they shattered their clay pots then they let out a shout and all of a sudden the enemy was terrified all of a sudden the light was shining in the darkness right they were given a great victory you can be on a hill and you can have a light but if your light is under a basket or, or some versions actually do say a clay pot Nobody's going to see it, right? Nobody's going to see it. When your light is under a basket, guys, it just means you're out of fellowship with the Lord. Notice here, notice here he says, put your lamp on a stand. He's now talking about in the house. Because in Israel, what they did, what they did in the ancient world is they had lampstands. But these lampstands weren't like the tall things you think from the floor. They actually were up by the ceiling. And they would put the lamp at the highest place because it would light the whole house. There's nothing to block the light, right? So that's what he's talking about here. Let your light shine out into the world. we got to put our lamp on a lampstand and plant ourselves, our city, on a hill where it will do the most good, where people will see the light. When your city's in a valley and you're holding the light, it doesn't make any difference, does it? When your lamp is under a basket or a pot, it doesn't make a difference. 
You're just out of fellowship with the Lord, is what that means. When you're, when you're on a, a city on a hill and your lamp is on a lampstand, you're in fellowship with the Lord. He'll be able to use you to count touchless lives. We have to keep our lamp high on a lampstand and be planted on a hill. He first tells us to let our light shine to the world. And then if you notice in that passage, he says to let your light shine in your house. We can't just be a witness in our world, guys, around us. We need to be a witness first in our homes. We need to lead by example. We need to have our homes in order. But look what the last verse of this section says. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Guys, Christ followers, be full of the word of God. Be full of the spirit of God. Be overflowing. Be salt and light. Allow him to receive all the glory and the honor in your world, in your environment, to those around you that you're exposed to. Amen? Be salt and light. Tell the person next to you, be salt and light. Let's stand up on our feet. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And guys, listen, I, I want to, let's just, let's keep it quiet and let's just bow our heads together here for just a moment. Now, there's a couple things I want to say. And I, first and foremost, If you have not repented and turned from your old life, if you haven't surrendered and bowed your life to Jesus and his will and his way, if you have not made him Lord of your life, I implore you, please do it today. Yes, it is very much about heaven and hell. But eternal life doesn't start when you take your last breath on this earth. Eternal life starts the moment you say yes to Jesus. You may not have fellowship because you don't have relationship. If you haven't bowed your heart to Jesus, you don't have relationship with the Father. And we can't blame Him. He made a way. We've got to say yes to Jesus so that we can come into relationship with him. Then we're able to walk in fellowship with him. First things first. Who needs to bow their heart to Jesus? I'm not talking about a prayer you prayed in a VBS when you were 10, guys. Look back and ask yourself, what was the moment where I left my old life behind and I went forward in my new life with the Lord? Every head bowed. If that's you and you would say, I need to surrender to Jesus today. I want you to lift your hand. I want you to lift it up high 
anybody in this place says, I desperately need Jesus. Anybody in this place? You may be watching online and you may be hearing these words and you feel within you, you know it's you. Trust me, (laughs) I can't say good enough words to make you feel that way. That is the Holy Spirit of God. And he is invading your space where you're at right now. Not like an army, not like a soldier. He's coming in as a loving father. And he's saying, I want you with me. I want you to walk this life with me. I've got you. We're going to pray a prayer together. The Bible says if you mean it with all your heart, that you'll become a new creation. The old life, old things, that all passes away. And all things become new. Mean it with all your heart. Everything changes, guys. Just pray a prayer. Pray something like this. You can pray with us. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am lost without you. I am lost and alone. I'm dead in this life without you. But Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I make you Lord of my life. I believe you went to that cross in my place. You gave your life willingly for me. You paid the price for my sin and my shame and my sickness and my disease. All the curse. You took it for me. And in exchange, you gave me everything. So today, I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I don't just say sorry, but I turn from it and I make things right. And I choose to walk forward with you. Jesus, you are Lord of my life from this day forward. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you called me to be. I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that in a minute, I'm going to ask you to fill out that connection card again here in just a minute. Got the link. If you're watching online, go to it. Fill that out. There's a place to mark on there. I gave my life to the Lord. I rededicated my life. It's the best decision you ever make in your life. The Bible says that when one person bows their life to Jesus, all of heaven rejoices. So we rejoice with you. If you're here in person, In a few minutes, we're going to have our prayer partners down here. We're going to ask you to come down and tell somebody and let them talk to you and let them pray with you. Because, guys, it's a new day if you've bowed your heart to Jesus. Now, Christ followers, are we salt and light? your saltiness <laughs> Madison Aaron smiling at me I know salty means something a little different to young people I know I know have you
you lost your flavor? Are you out of fellowship? It's time to get desperate again. You may be here, and the Lord is calling on you to, you, you know. You know that you need to repent. You know that you need to get things right in your life. You know that you're no good right now to anybody except to be the world's doormat. Circumstances and situations are running over you. Why? It's not because you don't have relationship. It's because you don't have fellowship. The Lord wants you to look up at the dinner table and see the love in his eyes and say, Father, I repent. I'm going to follow you in your ways. I want us to take just a couple more minutes. Can we play? I want us to go back into, into breathe if we can. And I want you to examine your heart and examine your life, guys. If you've lost your saltiness, you're not any good to God. He can't use you. Your purposes are on hold when you're out of fellowship. Waiting on you to look up into your daddy's eyes and say, Dad, I'm sorry, I repent, I'm with you. That area of my life that you've been pointing at for a long time that I've been ignoring, all right, I'm gonna let you bring it to the light. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you deal with it so that we can move forward. I want my prayers heard and answered. I don't want communication broken down any longer, Lord. good, good father and he loves you and he wants you. Sometimes he's more desperate for us than we are for him. <laughs> Probably all the time. As we sing this, allow the desperation in you to grow. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Allow your heart to be broken and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to it. Personal, it's individual. Holy Spirit of God, I thank you that you have been in this place so thick since this service started. Right now, you are speaking to hearts and you're touching lives. As we sing this, Lord, make yourself known on our behalf in the midst of our brokenness and our desperation. Make yourself known and real to those who need you most, Lord. Be exactly what they need in this moment, that they can go forth and truly be salt and light in Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277.